0: You damned young idiot! War starts at midnight! Hey there, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher.
1: I'm Jacob Graves. While listening to today's show, we recommend throwing your cell phones in the nearest microwave and placing bandages over all the cameras for all your mobile devices, because we've got a review of Snowden, Oliver Stone's latest film about the NSA contractor turned fugitive folk hero, Edward Snowden.
0: Then in special features, it's time to renew our remorse with another war crimes confessional. With Jacob joining the show, it only felt fitting to force him to flaunt his deepest, darkest cinematic sins as we discuss the films we're most ashamed to admit we've never seen.
1: And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations.
0: But first, so uh, Jake, it was recently announced that Bill Murray is going to receive the 19th annual Mark Twain Prize for American Humor next month in October. Um, this is pretty exciting, exciting news. You know, it's, it's not one of those things that necessarily means a lot. You know, it's not he's not winning an Oscar. He's not. But uh, gosh darn it, Bill Murray deserves it.
1: Uh, for sure. Have you looked, have you looked at the list of other winners of this award? I
0: think the only other person that I know of off the top of my head is Tina Fey. I haven't looked at, looked at the rest of the list. Who, who else is up there?
1: I'll give you some highlights, uh, from last week's show. Richard Pryor, uh, was the first winner in 1998. Since then has been people like Jonathan Winters, Carl Reiner, Whoopi Goldberg, Bob Newhart, Steve Martin... Bill Cosby. Let's not talk about that one. Um, Tina Fey, Will Ferrell. So, I mean, it, it's some big names in comedy, but some of them. Yeah. Really, what we want to talk about is why did they get it before Bill Murray did?
0: That's that's exactly. I mean, even like so when it was announced that Bill Murray was was nominated, my first thought was like, well, but Tina Fey already has one. And and not that I have anything like I, I think she's she's brilliant and, and a, a great uh, comedic writer. But. It's Bill friggin' Murray. I mean, how how long has he consistently been hilarious?
1: In twenty in twenty fourteen, Jay Leno won this award.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even award, know what that says. This award jumped the shark before Bill Murray got it. Did
1: did they did they sit down and made a list and then came back and said, "Oh no, Bill Murray, we forgot Bill Murray, eighteen years in a row." Maybe
0: or maybe uh, here's uh, here's what probably happened. They thought they'd given it to him. <laughs> they like hadn't been. They just hadn't been even considering him because they were like, "Oh yeah, remember that acceptance speech Bill Murray gave?" No, but I was pretty drunk. Oh yeah, <laughs> me, yeah, me too. But I, I think it was hilarious.
1: Look, Carl Reiner, obviously. Bob Newhart, obviously. Lorne Michaels. I'm, I'm even on board with that one. Just. Some of the other ones. I don't
0: know. Yeah. It's, it's that sort of like, and maybe there's just no real rhyme or reason to exactly the, because I mean, even I'm, I'm looking at the list now and it it's, you know, like Carol Burnett only got it a couple years ago. That seems like another one. That's, that's a shoe. And honestly, Eddie Murphy only got it last year. That's another one that seems like, I, I know he hasn't been as prevalent lately, but he has, you know, a solid body of comedic work that still stands the test of time um, with I guess with some there there are some there are some bits in raw that are a little a little raw. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, it's it is uh it is baffling.
1: Let, let me let me ask this uh, just more on the positive Bill Murray side is is Bill Murray as universally loved as he feels like he is in the circles that I run in. Is, is are there people out there who don't enjoy Bill Murray?
0: There's, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are groups that are, you know, like I could see our parents' generation being. Well, I'm really like a caddyshack Bill Murray. I'm not so sure about this whole sad Bill Murray thing going on for the past, you know, 15 years or whatever.
1: My my, my dad uh, is is more of a groundhog. What about Bob Bill Murray? Okay, uh, okay,
0: that's but that, that's the things. I'm I'm pretty much across the board. I would say. I, I would say he's almost like a fine wine, though. He's only gotten better with because I think the thing that's amazing about the the old Bill Murray, the, you know, latter years career Bill Murray is that he still has that uh, wit and charm and charisma that he always had, you know, in the 80s and 90s. But with him being in the body of an older man that just naturally, I mean, it's he's almost built for physical comedy now. And so that kind of tied in with his his wit uh, is just a beautiful thing. It's the type of thing that I feel like on the other on the other end of the spectrum, like Chevy Chase has gone completely the other direction.
1: I I, I don't know if this makes sense, but to me, Chevy Chase's timing doesn't work in an old man's body where Bill Murray's comedy style is working better as his body. Yeah,
0: ages. that's I, I I totally agree. and And it's. One of those, like I, I don't know, because Chevy Chase was, you know, in like the eighties, you know, Fletch era. I don't think anyone had better comedic timing than he did. But anymore, it's, I don't know, it's rough. It's, uh, I, I struggle. I mean, you know, like watching watching him on Community, I struggled to reconcile the fact that he had evolved from, you know, Fletch and and National Lampoon's Vacation Chevy Chase to just I know sad like he's also kind of old and angry but not in a funny way
1: yeah and I mean if you ask Bill Murray uh, or according to the rumors about the fight that they had at Saturday Night Live one time they they got in maybe even a fist fight and Bill Murray came up pointing at Chevy Chase and he just said medium talent (laughs) uh, which is an insult that really only Bill Murray could deliver Uh, yeah it's but maybe it was a better assessment than any of us realized
0: I mean I don't know though I don't, I mean, even like you go back and watch old weekend updates with with Chevy Chase, and it's even though it is the most topical of topical humor, there are some really great moments of just like, you know, looks or pauses or, um, you know, glances, little glimmers at the camera where he just sort of he breaks the fourth wall and he's just like, it's sort of he is exactly just Chevy Chase. And maybe he's just lost that.
1: Maybe so. But uh we'll always have National Lampoons uh vacation, Chevy Chase. And
0: uh the the Chevy Chase show. Eh. <laughs> All right, folks. Well we'd like to know who you would nominate for the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. Tell us at Hello at war
1: And stick around for our review of Oliver Stone Snowden coming up next.
0: You want it to be special forces? Yes, sir. Why do you want to join the CIA?
1: I'd like to help my country make a difference
0: in the world. The average test time is five hours. I'm done, sir. It's been 40 minutes. 38 minutes. What should I do now? Whatever you want. The deputy director of the NSA offered me a new position. Can you tell me anything about it? <laughs> you know I can't. Find the terrorist in the internet haystack. You're making people very happy. Thank you. You ready for a little action?
1: Oh, this looks juicy. How is this all possible? Think of it as a Google search, except instead of searching only what people make public, we're also looking at everything they don't. Emails, chats, SMS, whatever. Yeah, but which people? The whole kingdom's not white. The NSA is really tracking every cell phone in the world.
0: Most Americans don't want freedom. They want security. Except people, they don't even know they've made that bargain.
1: Are they watching us?
0: There's something going on inside the government that's really wrong, and I can't ignore it. In May of 2013, Edward Snowden turned over thousands of classified NSA documents to British news organization The Guardian. These files contain sensitive information about the American government's acts of surveilling terrorists, criminals, foreign dignitaries, and even its own citizens with little to no oversight. Let's take a moment and just agree, this story is worth telling. Whether you see him as a hero or a criminal, Snowden gave the entire world a bite of fruit from the Tree of Knowledge, and there's no turning back from that. We are now living in a connected world that is, for better or worse, directly affected by the revelations of a widespread breach of personal privacy brought to light by Snowden's leaks. There is no doubt his actions and the aftermath contain built in drama and plenty of ethical questions that are ripe for cinematic exploration. But Jake, I'm curious. Oliver Stone is clearly trying to engage the audience while stressing the importance of the story's real life implications was his choice of a more or less conventional biopic structure effective or should Stone have scrubbed through more metadata to find a more captivating approach. And furthermore, why the hell didn't you tell me Nick Cage was in this movie?
1: (laughs) Uh, I I didn't want to spoil the surprise. Do you remember last week when I messaged you right after I saw Snowden and I said, without using IMDb, will you tell me the name of every actor in this movie? And you replied, well, all I know is that kid from Angels in the Outfield.
0: Uh, I, I vaguely remember this. Last week was a bit of a haze. (laughs) <laughs> uh, wasn't, wasn't getting much sleep and, and not because I was, uh, you know, worried about, about my own personal privacy on the internet, but, uh, no, that sounds like something I would say.
1: Yeah. Uh, well I did that because I, I didn't know if Nick, I don't really watch trailers. Uh, you know, this, if I'm, if I know I'm going to see the movie. Yeah. So after one that I had seen, you know, months ago about this, where all I had to say about it was, ah, look at Joseph Gordon-Levitt's weird, weird voice thing. Yeah. Um, I couldn't remember if they said Nick Cage was in it. Or not? I didn't know if it was a surprise and I didn't want to spoil that because when he showed up in this movie, I thought, oh, it's getting real. But,
0: but that's OK. Let, let's just let's just dive into it. So that's sort of I I'm very I'm very mixed on on this movie. Um, I, I think Nick Cage's role in this film is emblematic of some of the problems that I have with it. A lot of the problems I have with it in that. It feels, it it feels like, and, and, you know, my intro is very heavy handed handed. I'm sure you, you kind of caught that, but it, it just feels like in a lot of ways, a very typical sort of biopic and in the way that Nick cage functions as one of those characters that really is only important to telling you who Edward Snowden is, you know what I mean? He just disappears after.
1: Yeah, he he didn't he didn't have much to do on his own. He
0: defines he defines Snowden's interests, but he doesn't he's not a person himself.
1: Do you want me to tell you what I thought of this movie? Yeah, yeah. And afterwards, I was talking about it with my girlfriend and we were like, what was that weird pole dancing scene (laughs) where the girlfriend was just sort of on? And I said that was Oliver Stone attempting to get this movie made. And he said, we can make this movie about Snowden and guess what? In real life, his girlfriend taught pole dancing classes. So we can have a scene with that uh-huh. and we can have a sex scene where they remember there in front of a camera. Yeah. And apparently one of those was, and we can have Nick cage.
0: In. <laughs> Is Nick cage a draw though? I don't know. I'm, I'm not.
1: It somehow was one of my favorite parts of this movie. All three scenes he were in I really enjoyed. It didn't didn't fit in this movie at all, but it was really good. They
0: were good and he wasn't playing K- crazy cage, uh which was great and that's that's part of my big disappointment is it was it was a more traditional Nick Cage role and more traditional, I mean, traditional, not traditionally Nick Cage. Um <laughs> and so I'm I'm a little upset that we we didn't get more of him, you know, being a mentor or whatever, but the the problem was With with, you know, the way this the script is written, that it's basically unless you are someone who is forcing Edward Snowden from his like and it even goes as far as like a character in the movie calling him Snow White uh, quite a bit, like nicknaming him Snow White Uh, going from being this very oblivious, very angelic, just all he cares about is what's right. And, and then like the story is his arc of kind of transforming. He still only cares about what's right, but he, it's a transformative sort of, uh, event for him, but he still stays snow white and angelic. And I don't, I don't, I just, I don't love it. I don't buy it. I think, I think this is a story that is very, uh, important for someone to approach and bring to a, like, I like that there is a movie about Edward Snowden because I do feel like, uh, we've reached, I mean, it was only three years ago, just over three years ago. And I feel like if you asked some, you know, some people like our parents age, Hey, tell me who Edward Snowden is a good majority of them. Maybe not a majority. A good, a good bit of them would be like, Oh, is he the WikiLeaks guy?
1: Yeah, him
0: and Julian Assange are and
1: or or, or was he uh, was he that that soldier who leaked all those documents? Uh, Yeah,
0: Bradley Manning or uh, I I forget his name now, but yeah, right. Exactly. Um, And so it's I I like that there is, you know, someone made a movie about this because I think it is it is a very important piece of uh, not just cultural discussion to have, but, um, you know, about it, it. it just inherently brings up a lot of intriguing uh, conversation. And I don't feel like this movie necessarily addresses it or, or addresses it too heavily.
1: No. And he, I, here's the problem. Uh, we talked about this a little before the show. We both had the same thought on it, but it's hard to call this a great movie on its subject. When we live in a universe where the big short has already been made. Yeah.
0: But this, this movie would have benefited so much from, a bit of that style, a bit more of that style. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of my larger issue with it feeling, you know, more just sort of vanilla uh, um, biopic is there are moments of visual flourishes and, and moments of, because I've, I've not seen a lot of Oliver Stone films and I've never loved an oliver stone film really um but when i think of him one of the things that i think about or that i that you know in in my mind he is someone who takes visual chances and i mean something like um uh, natural born killers uh, which is maybe an extreme example but
1: uh we can we can get into it in war crimes but i've never seen an oliver stone uh movie really seen parts of them on tv Uh
0: uh-huh I haven't seen many, but in general, like, I don't, I don't love Oliver Stone movies. And if I'm being perfectly honest, this might be my favorite Oliver Stone movie. Um, I, I've been complaining about it a lot. I do, I do like it, but I like it in a, in a way that it's like, well, it's a movie. It's a story that was worth telling. So I'm glad that that happened. Joseph Gordon, love it. The actors are great. The actors are really good in this from JGL to Timothy Oliphant to, um uh nick cage to every uh i i'm blanking on his name now the the smartest kid in hawaii Um, yes everyone was pretty good scott eastwood not eh, he's fine
1: did did you like shailene woodley's performance as lindsey mills
0: at times i did but it it felt a little uneven to me does that make sense like yeah sometimes and it, it was sort of a it was almost a period to period in some ways And Um,
1: I don't I don't know that much about the the true story of Snowden. Uh, I've read more about what he released and all that, but not him personally. mm -hmm. And so I don't know how much there really was this tie of, oh, I love my girlfriend and I'm being dragged across the country and I want to be with her and it's putting stress on our relationship.
0: Well, I mean, they are still together. Like that's that's an actual legitimate thing. Like, I mean, they were together through basically all of this. And they are still, and I think it even in, in like the credits, you know, or at the very end, I saw that. Um, yeah, says she's moved to Moscow to to live with him. Spoilers, uh oh. Um, so I mean, I I think there's got to be some truth to that, but truth also isn't inherently interesting all the time on its own, and that's that's another thing. It, it, I like that you bring that up because I think there's this movie's so full of. Half executed or just completely missed opportunities. I think the relationship versus career um, thing he touches on a little bit, but not enough to make it personal or not enough to make it seem like uh, I don't know. Like it's it's all just this movie is a good enough sort of this movie would
1: have benefited from being less accurate. That's that's what I believe. Yes.
0: No. Absolutely. Or and and that's and that's where like I think the bio and I don't I don't mean less accurate in like embellishment, but less accurate in um in like it needs a little more uh, of that actual like Oliver Stone mania. And this feels pretty tame. Yes. For-
1: or they they could have they could have got somebody in to just cut this script to pieces and and assemble it into something that told more about the idea of Ed, edward snowden uh-huh. and like the big how short. his brain was you're, you're, working you're, you're
0: trying to the, describe the big short again
1: i'm trying to describe the big short but but i guess what i guess what i'm getting at is you could almost lose the Lindsay mills character you almost didn't need the subplot where he started getting those seizures mm-hmm. there were a lot of like weird parts of this movie that could have been like a big focus but were just really small
0: yeah and that, and and that's part of like it it feels oddly like he is and i don't know if he is but it feels like he stone is being loyal to a truth that's just not inherently important to the larger story that i think he is trying to tell i mean um
1: and another, another thing to keep in mind one of the things i do know about oliver stone is he's frequently skewered for um straying far from the facts in in jfk and maybe some of his other mm-hmm. f- films like taking too much of a creative license so maybe he said this one i don't want to have that knock against me i want to follow it really accurately but again i don't know Uh,
0: maybe i i don't know like it's been it's been a while since i've seen an oliver stone movie so i can't even compare this to i mean and i guess what wall street to electric boogaloo was the last (laughs) thing that i can recall that that he he directed but um it I don't know. It, it felt mostly flat. I did. I mean, and like I said, there's about 12% of like visual flourishes in style in this movie where like I thought that towards the end that, um, uh, conference call scene where it's, it's him. And I forget the, uh, the guy's name, but sort of his mentor from, um,
1: uh, uh Corbin O'Brien.
0: Yes. Um, it's, it's almost this big brother Orwellian, you know, he's, he's giant across the entire wall. Um, that was a really well executed, uh, sort of paranoia, um, exchange, a, a really great way to take what could have been just a boring dialogue scene on a phone or something and make it, uh, make it a little bigger. Uh, I wish there was more of that. I wish, I, I wish the film was more focused. It's just a lot of, a lot of sort of. Half cocked ideas and I don't know. It's this is sort of my least favorite type of movie to discuss because I just feel like I don't have even like a strong opinion where it's like, oh, this is the thing that I'm going to praise or this is the thing I'm going to skewer. I think I mean, the thing that I would praise, I think, is the performance. I do think Joseph Gordon Lovett. I was really afraid after the trailer about his uh, whole really trying to do an Edward Snowden impersonation. But honestly, I found that like after like five minutes in, I wasn't even paying attention to the voice anymore. It just felt natural.
1: Yeah. uh, And I I thought he did. It it was good enough. I didn't feel him breaking from it um, that I can remember. I thought he did. I thought he did a good job acting. But he always does.
0: There there was one part where I felt like he did sort of stray and kind of fall into identifiably Joseph Gordon Lovett. Uh, and, and that's when they had sort of an argument. I think it was over um, him saying, you know, they're you're looking at they met on like a dating site. And I, I know that you're looking at the dating site. And and then they get into this whole personal argument about personal privacy. And as he raised his voice, it felt like this sort of like uh, frog in the throat Snowden voice disappeared, which I'm sure is incredibly difficult, if impossible. That,
1: that was a that was a weird scene anyway. I mean, do, do going back to that dating site, something that annoyed me is, so he got that message when he was in the hospital. Uh-huh. That was like, but it was you, the first message. Some, the first message. Yeah. You could use some sun. And uh-huh. then when they met up, the first message was still up. Like they had never sent another message. Yeah. Yeah. But they had decided to meet up. <laughs> it was, it took, took me out of the movie a little yeah, bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like movies and TV shows do that all the time though. Like how often do you see like a character in distress, get a, a text message or a, an eerie text message or something? Um, that it's like, or, or it's like a text message from mom. That's like, Oh my gosh, trouble. And it's like, you haven't talked to your mom at all. This is the first thing that you've ever received. It, it had that, it had that feeling to it.
1: Also, Oliver Stone is 70. Maybe that's how he thinks online dating works. I mean, it <laughs> could be, um, what, one other thing I picked up on, I wanted to ask, maybe it was just, just me, but when he went hunting with, uh, Corbin O'Brien, yeah. the second time, and he had that bright orange hat on. It wasn't a Holden Caulfield hat, but wearing that bright orange hat for some reason started making me draw some connections there. I didn't know if it was purposeful or not. It, oh,
0: like, like literally, he's uh, metaphor. I don't know. Like, I mean, that's possible, but that's I was by by that deep, and I wasn't even searching for metaphor on that deep of a level anymore
1: <laughs> you had given it up yeah given up. it
0: was like if it wasn't like right there on the surface i
1: yeah i i didn't know if that was supposed to be you know he's idealistic but also cynical and jaded mm-hmm. and and trying to be the catcher and all, all these things going at once uh or they just picked to put him in an orange hat <laughs>
0: well i mean but, they're pheasant hunting so it he needs to be in i mean that is that is what you wear you need to you know, because otherwise you're going to get shot.
1: Was Dick Cheney on that trip?
0: <laughs> could have been very well. Could have been. Um, okay. I, I have a couple, I, I have one other thing. And I, this is this, I, I don't want to close on a, on a sour note, but I don't know where else to go with this. Um, there, the thing that I don't like about Oliver Stone movies is I think, and, and it's probably the thing that other people really love about, about his movies is, uh, his, his voice is a little overpowering for me as the director. And there's, there's a lot of times where um, I feel like his characters are giving dialogue that is just straight up Oliver Stone saying, this is what I believe. Um, a, a good example of this would be when uh, the the scene is pretty early on after they, they've just started dating uh, Snowden and uh, Lindsay Mills. And. Uh, they're kind of basically, she's a liberal and he's a conservative. Excuse me, ma'am, would you like to sign?
1: I actually just signed. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you. Oh too much independent spirit for you? Uh, no, I just don't really like bashing my country. It's my country, too, and right now it has blood on its hands. <sighs> Sorry, I just, I have friends who are over there right now. I'm not talking about the troops, I'm talking about the morons sending them to war. <laughs>
0: you mean our commander-in-chief?
1: Yeah, whatever you want to call him, he's still wrong.
0: How do you know he's wrong? You're just lashing out.
1: No, I'm I'm not lashing out, I'm questioning our government. That's what we do in this country. That is the principle that we are founded on. Okay, but how about questioning the liberal media? I mean, you're you're just buying into what one side is saying. Maybe I am. Because my side is right. See, that's funny, because my side's right. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Why is it smart conservatives always make me so mad? Probably because you don't like hearing the truth. You are a very frustrating individual. You know that? How am I going to make you see?
0: I can see just fine. Thank you. that help
1: at all? No. No, that did uh, nothing for me. Tastes like liberal. (laughs) Not my thing.
0: (laughs) You know, beyond that being just sort of a very by-the-book, meet-cute sort of, I mean, the the dialogue is really bad. It was really Um, bad. It just really, it's really, it's really wooden. Uh, But there's also this, I don't know, I I got the feeling out of because Edward Snowden in this film is supposed to be this guy that transforms from being squeaky clean, super conservative to still squeaky clean, but a, uh, you know, a uber liberal fighting for the people um, sort of sort of dude. And and so he presents him as oh well i i believe in our commander in chief and everything but it it feels like you know what it felt like to me it felt like uh did you ever watch the newsroom the aaron sorkin show on HBO i I did not no okay uh don't it's not great it's a it's a it's a good hate watch kind of um
1: oh yeah i saw that clip of jeff daniels destroys blah 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 where he he's kind of preaching well
0: that and that that's exactly that's exactly the type of like because jeff daniels in that in that show he's supposed to be a uh, Republican moderate uh, news anchor and what uh, what Sorkin thinks a conservative is, is not a real person. It's a um, it's a, you know, it's someone from one side of of uh, of a viewpoint trying to say, well, the the other side should be this way. You know what I mean, and, and so it just feels it feels totally false, and I felt like Stone was doing that with with Snowden in his earlier days um, through this, and it just that's that's the type of thing that I I feel a lot in his films that that bothers me, and you know I mean to his credit he won me over mostly in the end by just not he didn't he, Here, he didn't here's something
1: me... we can probably close on that's a little more positive okay did did this movie get its point across that he very clearly was trying to make, but did, did you kind of second guess? Like, what am I putting on the internet? Like I came home and I, I, uh, unplugged my, my webcam. I said, I don't need to plug in all the time, which means to some extent, the movie, the movie worked a little yeah. bit.
0: Well, and that's, that's part of my, you know, tiered, uh, argument of like, I like it. All right. Is I think it probably did have that effect on, uh, a lot of people and it you know it did all right in its opening weekend um i think it uh i think it overperformed a bit from what was expected but not like it wasn't gangbusters either which you wouldn't expect it to be you know to just clean up um but i you know that's that's the thing i i think it from a perspective of people who maybe don't keep up with uh the news or that that side of news very often. Um, you know, maybe maybe there is a little bit of just like being a little more at least for the next week, a little more enlightened about like just how much, you know, the the connected world of things can uh, you know, help you or hurt you. Um I don't know. It's yeah, this is a this is a solid like I mean if if it's on HBO, yeah, watch it. Joseph Gordon love it's great. And you get to see Nick Cage.
1: So if our Midnight Warriors do catch this film on HBO, what sort of beer should they be reaching for to pair with Snowden?
0: Okay, so the pick that I've got for Snowden, it's a little it's probably the most like out there stretch that I've ever done. Um, But I'm I'm pretty proud of the the connection we've got here. So uh, this beer, it's West Terran 12, and this is brewed by monks in the St. Sixtus Monastery in Belgium. This is a Belgium quadruple. And this beer has been declared the best beer in the world. Um, This is actually fun little side note. This beer is what introduced me to 99% invisible. I was trying to find more information on this beer and found 99 PI and have been in love ever since with Roman Mars. Uh, But the the reason that I'm choosing it is because it is a beer that you cannot get. You know, you, you can't go to the liquor store and get it. You can't. Um, I guess technically you could get it on the internet from like a a beer exchange, but it would cost you Buku's. The only way to actually get this beer though, is to physically go to the, uh, go to the monastery and pick up a case. And to do so, you have to call them in advance, hopefully get them on the phone and set up a, set up a time, uh, to, to go and pick it up, go, go and get it. And then that's. That's it. You, you have a limited amount that you, you can buy. They have a limited amount that they make because they're monks. They don't, they don't actually care about the product They're they're doing it for God. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they say it's the best beer in the world. And so I think, uh, for a movie that does, you know, a little bit at least convince you that maybe you should step back from the connected world a little bit, you know, kind of reassess, um, all of the, all the great things might also be little, you know, little, little terrible things at times. Um, you know, this is you, you got a monk or you got a you got a beer brewed by monks. They're doing the same thing. And you've got to you've got to actually go out and get it. Um, so that's uh, that's the pick. West Viltere 12.
1: Snowden is currently playing nationwide. If you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at war at midnight.com.
0: Or if email isn't your thing because you've gotten off the Internet, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA.
1: Stick around. We'll be back after the break with an update on week three of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League. And our dubious declarations of cinematic sins with the special features topic, War Crimes
0: Confessions. episode Jake you introduced us to the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League and uh we actually have had uh, several Midnight Warriors join i think we're our league's up to what about we got what 10 people now commissioner
1: uh yeah Ju- judging by the the scoreboard for this week it's 9 people
0: 9 people there we go i was i was over by one
1: 9 warriors
0: chris and uh we just we're we're leading into week 4 right now but tell us uh how did we how did things turn out in week 3
1: so, crazy upsets and disappointments for fall week three. After a flop from Bridget Jones's baby, we saw a huge upset from Sully anchoring a perfect cineplex for the second week in a row. So, the perfect box office would have been two screens showing Sully, Snowden, Don't Breathe, and then round out with four screens of Kubo and the Two Strings. And that would have brought in just over $80 million. So, according to FML Nerd's prediction going into this week, That Cineplex was only giving a 1.6% chance of being the top box office. So this was a true upset week.
0: You know, I I expected uh, I expected Sully to do well. I wasn't I don't even think I had Kubo on my any of my screens. And I think that was technically like for bang for the buck, uh, the the highest um, or the, the best earner. Like per
1: yeah, so I, I I don't have the results pulled up, but um, in doing research on last week, I did pull up the prediction uh, from FML Nerd, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be Bridget Jones's Baby's week.
0: Was it really Bridget
1: Jones? Like yeah, in in almost uh, every Cineplex, it at least had a Bridget Jones's Baby.
0: See, I I was back and forth. I I didn't think Bridget Jones's Baby was going to do that well. Um, just with, with the year we've had and with the, that movie's too far removed from even, you know, if it had a built in audience, like there, I, I just didn't see it doing you know, great. And so that actually, it, it helped me a little bit in, in the Cineplex, but I did have Blair Witch, which didn't do well at all.
1: Blair Witch was a flop and I had that anchoring mind too. I, I I thought it was, I thought it was going to do good. I was, I was wrong, but luckily I had a lot of screens showing Snowden, Mm -hmm. which was good bang for its buck this week.
0: Yeah. You had a lot of Snowdens on your, on your pick and they did pretty well. And I think that's probably what sent you over the edge. You, uh, you were ahead of me in the polls, but we had a few midnight warriors ahead of us. So what were the, uh, what were the rankings for week three?
1: For the Midnight Warriors, team Movies Suck topped out with over $67 million by showing six different movies, but had a heavy dose of Sully and Snowden. My team, This Cineplex Kills Fascist, finished third with $53 million, and Chris, your screen, Tell Mr. Royal This is the Pagoda, had $50 million.
0: Yeah, I did. I did all right, I guess. We also, but I, you were in three. I was in four, and uh, it's a trap. I uh, was in a
1: second. You were in five.
0: I was in five. You were, you
1: were fil- yeah. Film school dropout was between us.
0: What? That must have. I, you know, I haven't checked it since uh, Sunday, so it must have fully come in. Hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, um, a lot of our listeners seem to have gone with a, a very mixed cineplex, uh-huh. which I've only been. I haven't been doing this for that long. I just I don't pay much attention to it. But it seems like a lot of time winners have a lot of the same high value movie showing.
0: Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I changed, I probably changed my uh, my Cineplex at least eight times last week, and the only thing that I did right was take out Bridge Jones's baby.
1: Yeah, so I think what you can do is that there are blogs that talk about this. FML Nerd is one of them. I, I don't check it ahead of time, but you can. And like I said. He predicts the value of each movie based on the price that's set Mm -hmm. in FML. So using that and and some – I think it's pro box office that estimates what the box office is going to be that weekend. You can come up with the best value, and he kind of predicts it. But again, it doesn't always work. Yeah. and. Um, in all of uh fantasy movie league, I think there were only 53 perfect screens, perfect Cineplexes last week.
0: Well, you know, I don't think you actually need a perfect screen to beat us in this league. <laughs> you know. Um, I like, I'm, I'm surprised that I have done as well as I have so far. Um, I, I can only predict that you know, it's been dumb luck and I'm going to continue plummeting. But, uh, you know, guys, if you, the midnight warriors would like to join in on the action, you can visit WSAM pod.com slash fantasy movie league for all the details.
1: What's better alien or aliens, JFK or platoon Papillon or the fugitive. Don't ask us, because at least one of us managed to live our entire adult lives without seeing each of these flicks. Last April, on War Starts at Midnight, Chris and Hunter decided to air their dirty laundry where everyone could see, or at least hear. Now it's my time to look through the internet for best of lists, top 250s, and even the sight and sound list to find those classic films that I have somehow either missed, overlooked, or flat out avoided. We'll also look back through Chris's list of shame to see what I want to call him out on spoilers. It's high fidelity. Chris, you've had a chance to look through my list of war crimes on letterbox. What did you see that left you flabbergasted? And are you ready for the excuses? I'm going to make up on the spot for how I've missed these movies.
0: Well, first of all, I would just like to point out that you, you brought a real Cajun flair to Papillon. How did you, how did you say that?
1: Papillon. <laughs> He's yeah. the Papillon.
0: I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so for just a, a quick recap of uh, what I had on my list that I selected for myself uh, last time. I had Taste of Cherry, Dr. Zhivago, Greed, uh, Nashville, and Porcarosa. And Jake, you want to guess how many of those I've seen?
1: You watched Nashville and that's it.
0: I haven't seen any of them yet. I, oh
1: my God, it's still... <laughs> It's still, I, well, it's a worse I, war crime now. It's
0: yeah, no, it's, it's bad. It's, and you know, to be fair, we, we have done several war crime episodes and we just, you know, didn't get to these. And, and, you know, like Dr. Zhivago pretty, pretty long. Um, these were, you know, some more, some of these were more challenging, you know, Taste of Cherry being an Iranian film, Greed being an old, long, silent film. So, you know, I actually thought I was going to get to Porkerosa. I I started doing a, a Miyazaki marathon not too long ago, and then I just get got super busy, and I haven't been able to – you know, I've been going through chronologically and haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but for –
1: Don't feel too bad because literally all of those are on my war crime list as well.
0: Great. Well, then we can do – yeah, we can do some, some joint war crimes uh, coming up sometime. But uh, – so I think what would be best is let's go through – And well, we can do two things, Jake, because we have two lists. We have like our own personal war crimes and then things that we're like, how have you never seen this? We went into each other's lists. Which would you rather uh, jump into? How do you how do you want to approach this? (laughs)
1: Let's call each other out. OK, let's let's start with that. And, and yeah. since I already brought up High Fidelity, how about I ask you, how have you not seen High Fidelity?
0: Um, Actually, so High Fidelity is one that if you were to pull up HBO Go on my TV right now, you would see that it isn't it is in my watch list. I started watching it one night. I got maybe 45 minutes in and, and it was just like it was too late and I went to bed. But I'll, I'll tell you, like, it, I don't I don't know if I love it.
1: OK, well, there, there's just a bunch of things that combine together. That, that made me wonder how you haven't seen it. And A is how readily available it was on cable
0: for yeah. like 10 straight years. Yeah, but you got to – I guess being being a newer host, you may not know this, um, but we didn't have cable when I was a kid. And so I really? feel like it was on cable when we were like, what, maybe middle school, high school? Is that is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I want to say it was made around – uh, 1999. Yeah. And the re- it, a weird reason I say that there's an of Montreal poster in the background, uh, <laughs> of one of the shots. And I was like, Oh my God, of Montreal. When was this made? And that's why I looked it up. And that's huh. always what r- reminds me that that band is so old. Yeah. Is that uh, yeah. High Fidelity was made in 2000.
0: It's, it's the type of movie that for all intents and purposes, I should love because of everything that it's about. Um, but it's you know I it, it's sitting there. It's one of those like I soon soon I plan to take care of that. Um, for you, I you've got some that I'm I'm kind of surprised by as well. I first thing that I've got up here is Miller's Crossing. How have you not seen Miller's Crossing?
1: See, that's really funny because I I went to Hollywood Video with you when we rented Miller's Crossing and we watched the uh-huh. first two movies. And I ended up going home, being tired, had a class, something like that.
0: Yeah, so you did the same thing I did with you, uh, with high fidelity.
1: Yeah do you do you remember like I I, re- I remember the start of Miller's Crossing. They were on a bridge. They were in a car. I fell asleep. It, it had nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. But watching cheerleader ninjas and Famalian can be exhausting.
0: <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Like we were, we we rented like four or five movies. That weekend or whenever. And that was by far the best movie we rented. And you didn't even watch it.
1: <laughs> no, I've watched some bad, bad movies.
0: Okay. What what next do you want to grill me about?
1: Uh, th- th- this isn't as much a, a grilling. I'm just surprised you haven't seen it. Uh, have you not seen Eyes Without a Face?
0: It's, uh, it's one of those that I think it's literally been in my Hulu queue since I got Hulu. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I've just never gotten around to it. I think, I think part of it is it's one of those movies that a lot of times, like I I'll watch something, you know, after, after work or after dinner, you know, just before bed. And it's not the type of movie that I want to put on just before bed. You know, I know like Edgar Wright loves it. I know it's supposed to be fantastic. It's just, uh, I, I haven't gotten around to it. And it's it's also one of those like I, it should be built in. I should be the built in audience because it's Criterion and it's, you know, all of these all of these things that I love.
1: If if you get uh, Eyes Without a Face on Criterion and you watch it, it's pretty scary. If you watch the special features, there's a short that the director made about how a slaughterhouse at, in France just operates mm-hmm. uh, a thousand times more terror terrifying. I remember like, you telling
0: me about this now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're like tossing like calf heads around, and and just like they they slit a horse's throat and it just falls to the ground. It's terrible. It's just it's just awful. That's what made me not want to sleep after.
0: <laughs> Up next for you, I've got Jackie Brown. Um, which yeah. is what? What is that reaction?
1: Uh, I I've, I've paid the late fee. To the library on Jackie Brown, uh, meaning I've rented it, brought it into my house, and decided to watch lots of other J movies, and then return that one. Uh, for listeners, I am I am marching alphabetically through the East Baton Rouge Public Library uh, collection. I'm on I'm on M right now.
0: Oh, so you're you've you've passed Jackie Brown. You're going to have to come back around on the next uh, uh, it's, the next round. It's going to
1: have to be on the next loop. Man, yeah. It's
0: okay. Next time, next time in like I don't know how how long it takes you to go through an entire circuit. But next time you come up on the Jays, whatever you get it with, put Jackie Brown in first. I think just from the opening credits, you're going to be like zoned in on it and you're going to finish the whole thing. It's fantastic. It's
1: it's the only Tarantino I haven't seen.
0: It is my favorite Tarantino. And I I always worry when I say that because it's the type of movie that is – I I feel like really hardcore Tarantino fans would be like, oh, well, it's it's sort of his worst because it's the least Tarantino. But I like that – he is dealing with someone else's material, while and proving that he can deal with someone else's material, and while also still giving it some of his own flair. Like I, I love that restraint that it has to it. It's fantastic.
1: I, I, I didn't realize he didn't write it.
0: No, it's a, it's based on an Elmore Leonard book, uh, Rum Punch, um, which huh. and you know Elmore Leonard very much stylistically, um, I, I'm sure influenced Tarantino. So it, it makes sense in that regard too.
1: Okay. Up next for you, I have a movie that I wouldn't call a war crime for me because I have seen it start to finish. Just not in order. Uh, Outlaw Josie Wales.
0: <laughs> Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, confession on this one: I own Outlaw Josie Wales on Blu-ray. It was, you know, it's it's one of those that's readily available from time to time for like four or five bucks. And I was like, I've never seen this movie, but I love, I love old eastwood westerns i'm gonna buy it and i'm gonna watch it and i just never have i have zero excuse it, it, for it
1: it it might be the best uh non sergio leone um or leone however you say that mm-hmm. uh, West, uh eastwood western uh i it was it was on in my house so much that i quote this movie routinely <laughs> but i've never never watched it in one sitting but I know everything that happens.
0: I feel like that's becoming a trope for you. I know with these older I, films. Well, <laughs> like it, that needs its own. That needs its own category, like Jake's dad's films or, or something, something to that effect.
1: I I know. it. I'm sure you know how it is. Well, you might not. You didn't have cable. Sometimes no. you catch a movie in the middle. You sit down and you watch the rest. Well, Sometimes yeah. you start a movie on cable and you have to, you know, go to church or go mm-hmm. to go out, go somewhere else. Have a baseball game.
0: Go to the East Baton Rouge uh, public library and get some more movies. (laughs) Yeah. So up next for you, I've got this is actually the the biggest war crime, I think, on your list. Um, Just from and it's not even it's not even that old, but it's the type of movie that uh, I understand why you haven't seen it. But I think you need to run out and grab it. You need to jump from the M's all the way to the Z's and go grab Zodiac and watch it.
1: It is uh, you know I can't break my so, rules, Chris.
0: <laughs> it's so good. Zodiac, and it's it's very understated. It's very, like, it's one of those movies that the first time I saw it, I really enjoyed it. And it, to, a, to a point that I was like, that was way better than I thought it was going to be. And then it just, like, sort of crawls in your brain and sits there and lingers forever. like Like a lot of Fincher movies do. Um, but
1: I'm, I'm sure I will like it. it's a Fincher film. The main mm-hmm. thing I know about it though is that uh Jake Gyllenhaal Gif where he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know um, if you know what I'm talking about yeah but you no, I, put it I, in the show notes. I know exactly what you're talking about. um it, yeah, it's and Robert Downey Jr's in it. it's got a great cast. It's got legitimately one of the creepiest things I've ever experienced in a theater and it's not even like it's not a jump scare. it's not a, it's like just a very well tightly built suspense uh, moment that like uh, every time i i think i brought it up on the show before every time i do it, it kind of it gives me the willies to think about it and i want to move on what do you what do you got next for me
1: it, it just one question about that first is yeah. it creepier than the last shot
0: in of... funny games
1: yes in funny games um
0: it's a different it's a much different feeling but it is as uh um arresting on the senses
1: Okay, this next one is one I knocked off of my war crimes list earlier this year. The King of Comedy.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've been circling that one and trying to get to it. And and I I haven't uh, I don't I don't know if uh, you recall, but Hunter and I did uh, at the beginning of the year, we did uh, New Year's resolutions. And one of my resolutions was to get through uh, all the Scorsese I haven't seen. And this was on it.
1: All of it. All all of the docs.
0: Oh, no, not the ducks. Sorry. All the feature Scorsese. I'm not crazy. Okay. Like I, I would like to see those, but uh, no, I, I've got, you know, that uh, boxcar birth, uh, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the sort of in-betweeners um, The what's the Dana day Lewis uh, age of innocence. Um, yeah, I've seen that one. But that is, that is the next one on my list of Scorsese films. I haven't seen and I want to knock out. I just haven't gotten to it yet.
1: Do it. I would almost, I would almost like a short episode where we just get to talk about that because it, it has it might not be a top tier uh, Scorsese, but it has so much that I want to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's actually a great transition for this. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about from you is Barry Lyndon. And I'm a little surprised that you haven't seen this one. I don't I don't know why. I mean, it's I guess if if there is a realm of lesser uh, Kubrick, this probably falls in there. But it's also so good. It's so good. And it seems like a type of movie we would have watched in college just to just to see like, Holy crap, you know about the, the crazy lenses that he used to make this?
1: Can, can I, uh, quick question, how do I sell Barry Lyndon to my girlfriend? How do I convince her that she wants to see it?
0: Um, Does she like duels?
1: Uh, we're going to, so what I'm hearing is I just don't tell her anything about this movie, right?
0: Does she like Ryan O'Neill? Uh,
1: if she likes duels, should she watch Barry Lyndon or should she watch Colonel Blimp?
0: well a different different type of duel this is a gun duel um, there's also plenty of Max Ophel's movies that you could bring into that that conversation as well um, all right, but no if she likes powdered wigs or if she she loves amazing photographic techniques at extremely shallow depth of field i mean you, you surely you can sell her on one of these things
1: yeah she she is a big fan of shallow depth of field <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right do you have, do you have your finger on the uh on the bleep button yeah because how have you not seen Yankee Doodle f-ing Dandy?
0: <laughs> so I, I I don't know. This is I think my freshman roommate who I didn't know went potluck with the guy. I think he was obsessed with Yankee Doodle Dandy. I think he tried to show it to me once, and I I don't know. I don't know. It's Cagney, right?
1: Yes, it is. It is the Cagney.
0: Okay, I'll uh I will bump it up on my list. How about that? All right. To close out my picks for you. Um, I've got one that's near and dear to my heart. It's near and dear to uh, you know the the Midnight Warrior ethos, um, in that it is a Noah Baumbach film. It is, a, it is a film that Hunter once saw and was sort of terrified because he felt that he identified too closely with the Je- Jeff Daniels character. It's uh, the Squid and the Whale by Noah Baumbach. Um, it's a understated movie. You know, this is a movie that I actually saw with, uh, our good friend, Phil Lucia. I don't know why you weren't there. I don't know why I was seeing a movie with our friend who doesn't like movies that much and not you, but
1: was it over the summer? Was I in Baton
0: Rouge? No, it was like, it was after a film history class, like a Kessner film history class.
1: Why was I not there?
0: I, I have no idea, no idea how that happened. Um, but it's, it's a great little movie. It's and actually the first time I saw it, I was a little cold on it. It's a little, you know, it's a little dark. It's um, it was kind of touted as a comedy and, and written by the guy who co-wrote life aquatic. And so that's what I thought going in. And I, I wasn't really prepared for it, but only recently, I think it was last year when we were reviewing one of the two, uh, Bombeck films, I, I went back and watched it again and it's so good and it's shot on beautiful 16 millimeter, cool. um, it's uh, a young, a younger Jesse Eisenberg. Um, it's it's pretty great. You should you should definitely check it out. And it's like, so a, I,
1: I, I loved Francis Ha, and I mm-hmm. I actually loved Mistress America. So what do you
0: mean actually? Uh, Mistress America was amazing. It's a nobody makes screwball comedies anymore.
1: It was really really good, and I couldn't tell if I just loved Greta Gerwig
0: or <laughs> if I really like Noah Baumbach.
1: I I can't I can't tell. Uh, but if I, if I really liked those two squid and the whale is going to be better S- S- rank squid- up there with them? squid
0: and the whale is a little different. Like it still has his, like, I think the thing that is unifying with, with Bombeck is his dialogue. Okay. But, um, this is a little bit darker. This is a much more personal story. This is a story that's, uh, has a lot of autobiographical elements to it. Um, and this comes from an era in Bob, be- Bombek's career that I like to call his John Cassavetti's light. Uh, era where, um, <laughs> all, right, all right. he, you know, he made this, he made Margo at the wedding. He was, he was actually going off in a direction. That I was like, I don't, I don't know about this guy. And then he came, you know, Greenberg was sort of a transitionary and then he comes out with Francis ha, and Now he's like on top of his game again, but it's still, it is a, it's a wonderful film. It's just, it's a little more dense While also being a little understated, so it's. I I think there are bigger war crimes on your list, but definitely check it out.
1: All right. So since I'm not going to talk about Patton, that rounds out our list that we had for each other's war crimes. Now, Chris, just
0: rubbing it in, Jake.
1: (laughs) Now, Chris, what 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 do you have on your personal list of things you are truly ashamed to have missed?
0: Okay, I'm going to go through these a a little quickly. But actually, you know, what's at the top of my list, my, my new list now that that, now I have, now I'm going to have 10 because I didn't see the others. Uh, (laughs) but outlaw Josie Wales is at the very top. Um, and all right, you know, I think it's more of a, it's a little more of a popcorn pick. Um, especially if you compared it to my, my list from last time, but, uh, it's, it's up there. And I figure it's one of those that I figure like, I'll probably get some flack for not having seen it. And that that'll be enough to push me over the edge.
1: I think, I think that would be a fun episode too, if we did review that.
0: Yeah, no, I I would love to, too. I love, you know, I love all old Westerns, but I love, you know, I love old Clint Eastwood in his prime in Westerns um, as well. So I would be down for that at some point in the future. All right. What do you have up next? Um, Up next, I've got 2046, which is a one car wife film. It is a sort of spiritual sequel to in the mood for love. Um, It, you know, same, um, same principal characters, Um, from what I understand, sort of a lot of the same themes and story, um, and you know, in the mood for love is in the mood for love is an amazing movie. I don't know if you've seen that, but shot by Christopher Doyle, who, who shoots most of one car wise stuff, um, uh, you know, a beautiful set in Hong Kong in like the sixties, this is set in a future sort of setting. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. Can I guess what year it's in? <laughs> I, I believe it's in 2046. I haven't seen it yet. So I, am not really sure, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one that I, I think this is one that I actually bought when a Hollywood video was closing in college. Um, but I've, I, for whatever reason, I haven't watched it
1: Two Hollywood video, uh, shout outs in this, uh, <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. All right, Juan Carr, why don't you tell us what's up next on your list?
0: <laughs> uh, up next is actually King Comedy, one that you already, good, one that you already uh, mentioned, but for for the exact reason that it's it's the next on my Scorsese list, and I need I need to get to it soon.
1: You you really should.
0: And then after that, I've got one that I know is a personal favorite of yours, which is uh, Johnny Guitar.
1: I call it a personal favorite really not i i enjoyed it but it wasn't it's not something like i grew up or i uh, i was like oh that that, that's something i absolutely love but it was a i know it was a favorite of our our late film professor joseph kessner and that alone Uh makes it a must see chris
0: okay okay see i i've always been under the impression that you love johnny guitar
1: i love to make jokes about johnny guitar
0: okay okay I this totally actually I
1: loved to make jokes about the the sliced L in the back of her shirt that uh-huh. indicates that she was a lesbian, uh, but suddenly because it was the 60s right. or 50s.
0: Right. Um, and that's man. I miss Joseph Kessner classes. Uh, but <sighs> no, Johnny Guitar, it's uh, it's one that I've heard you talk about a lot. And then uh, it came up on the most recent uh, season of you must remember this. The uh, Karina Longworth podcast. Um, she was doing a season about. Uh, A short season about Joan Joan Crawford and um, sort of her career and her arc and everything. And it sort of reignited my my urge to to see it. So I don't know if if last year's uh, list is an indication, I might not get to anytime soon, but but I hope to.
1: It's it's one of those Westerns that have a title song with the name of the movie in the song.
0: You sold.
1: Those are the best
0: sold. Those are the best. Totally sold. Um, And then we've got my last one, which uh, this isn't a big crescendo, but uh, Adam's rib, I've never seen a Tracy Hepburn film. And I don't know if this is the one to start with. Uh, Midnight Wars, if there is a better film to, to begin with for, uh, you know, their, their relationship, tell me, but uh, this is one that for whatever reason, the back of my mind, it's, it's been the Spencer Tracy, uh, Catherine Hepburn film that I need to see first. And so uh, that does bring me shame.
1: I I haven't seen that one either and I would, I would be willing to watch it whenever you do. So just let me know.
0: Okay. It's, you know, and, and as much as I was just praising, uh, mistress America for being a screwball comedy, how have I not seen this film? Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to your cinematic sins. What are the, not necessarily top five, but top five films you, uh, haven't seen.
1: Do I have to say this out loud? Chris. I feel I feel like because I wrote it in this Google Doc, the NSA already knows about it. So it's public information.
0: Oh, yeah. And well, and they've been listening to this entire thing.
1: I I just like I like the comforting idea that someone listens, (laughs) even if they're employees of the NSA. All right. First up on my list is a pair of war
0: crimes
1: that I am not even sure how I have not seen these movies, but Alien and Aliens.
0: You haven't even like caught. Ha- this isn't one that you've like caught half of on TV, either of these, especially I've seen
1: scenes from it, but mostly in like retrospectives or lists or I love the seventies.
0: <laughs> That's so weird. Especially like, I feel like alien, like I would not, if, if you were like, I haven't seen alien, but I have seen aliens. I'd be like, no, that makes sense. Yeah, no. But you need, you need to see both of these movies. Because they are so good and so different.
1: I know. And the funny part about this is I've I've played through every scenario in these games, in uh, in these movies, in the game called Legendary Encounters Alien, which is a game where a board game, a tabletop board game, where you – it's a deck builder where you play characters from the Aliens movies and go through the scenarios. It's really fun. And there's also one – For Big Trouble in Little China.
0: huh? You lost me at Deck Builder, but uh, I'll I'll take your word on this.
1: When when we start our War Starts at Midnight board game podcast, I'll explain what a Deck Builder is.
0: Okay, thanks.
1: Up next on my list, I have Jock Tati's Playtime, which I'm personally, I I know what you're about to say. I'm very ashamed of this because (laughs) I've seen everything else he has done except the one movie everybody has seen.
0: Yeah, I I haven't seen either, to be fair. Uh, but I haven't seen any Jacques Tati and when I finally get around to it, this is the first,
1: yeah, it's the obvious place to start. But I, when I went to get this movie from the library, it wasn't there. So I settled for literally every other thing he's made,
0: (laughs) but it's on Hulu now.
1: I know, I know, but I'm, I'm, I plan on getting it on the Blu-ray. This is supposed to be a very, very pretty film. I think it's shot in 70 millimeter Yep, and I, I want it to look great.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what's up next?
1: So you know that I, I have an adherence to rules and I, I'm really firm about that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I started reading the book Hearts of Darkness because I said when I'm done with this, I'll watch Apocalypse Now. I was in eleventh grade when I started reading that book, so I have not seen Apocalypse Now.
0: Wait, did you finish the book?
1: Nope. If so, I would have watched the movie, Chris.
0: <laughs> How wait, but you I, I read that book in an afternoon on a cruise ship. How did you not finish the book?
1: We were on a road trip. Maybe I got car sick. I don't remember. Stop grilling me over this. I'm ashamed enough as is. I know I should see
0: this movie. You don't. You do not need to read Hearts of Darkness to appreciate in any way Apocalypse Now. Um, they are like.
1: Also, this is this is a movie where the number of versions of the film scares me off. Should I be watching the original? Should I be watching? Watch the, watch the
0: original. Director's cut. Don't don't watch the redux. I think there's only two. Is that it? Is there a director's cut? I think there's only I think there's only two. Okay, the Redux is sort of it's a fine supplement for if you're like really into apocalypse. Now, um, there's one really long, boring dinner scene. I would I would argue that a woman under the influence has a better dinner scene, a better long, boring dinner scene than this. A more, a more substantial, long, boring dinner scene than this dinner
1: scene. What about what? my dinner with Andre? Where does that rank in the long,
0: boring movie scenes? Oh, I don't know. I guess I haven't seen my dinner with Andre, Jake. Oh, my. You,
1: have you not seen?
0: Uh, no. War <sighs> crime. <laughs> All right. But no, you need to see Apocalypse Now. If for nothing else, you need to see the amazing madman work that Walter Murch did in this film. It's fantastic. I forgot it's, Walter
1: Murch. Yeah, Yeah, he
0: he not only he edited the film. Well, I mean, he edited with two other editors, but then he also did the sound design on the film and he did he really did the very first quattrophonic mix in a film. He took actually like these separated tracks of and and I forget off the top of my head right now the doors song, but actually mixed it in quattrophonic sound um, and and. To you know more accurately fit the emotion that he was going you know, you know, just regular merch stuff. But no, you need to see Apocalypse Now if nothing else to see Walter Merch at his best.
1: Well, you 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 sold me.
0: <laughs> if only you could finish Hearts of Darkness.
1: I, I had no idea this Apocalypse Now movie was any good until you told me about it, Chris.
0: <laughs> okay, what's up next?
1: Kubrick's eyes wide shut.
0: Oh, okay. So this is a movie that I absolutely love. I think you absolutely need to see. I am curious though. I, I would be, I would like to do this war crime with you. Okay. Because this is a movie that, um, I had an amazing reaction to. I was, I was not sure how I was going to take it. It was, and I, I've talked about, it. I won't go too, too much in detail because I've talked about this on the show before, but basically like, this movie, because it came out when we were fairly young, and what I knew about the movie at the time was like, oh, it's sort of a dirty movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and uh, they they got divorced after the movie was made, and the and the dirty pervy guy died making it. That was sort of what I knew. Um, hmm. Obviously, that was sort of wrong, but so I went in thinking like, oh, it's Kubrick's last thing. He didn't even finish editing it. Like, there's there's that information. You always know, bring all this other metatextual stuff in. And I was, you know, just like, okay, I'll get through it. It's great. I really enjoyed it. But I'm interested to see how um, a a single man like yourself who goes to board game conventions and knows what a deck builder is <laughs> um, uh, reacts to uh, this this movie that is like, oddly sweet and intimate especially for kubrick who can be very cold and standoffish at times or cold and 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 judgmental is the wrong but you know he he has a very strong uh opinion about humanity and about relationships and that sort of thing and this felt very um i don't know very kind and soft and beautiful
1: so i I watched the in in a clockwork orange the fast forward three-way scene does that count any points towards Uh eyes wide shut
0: No, this is, (sighs) and I I don't, I don't think there's anything in this movie that's quite that explicit or yeah, quite that explicit and uh, disturbing, honestly, like um, it's a, it it has all the like naked depravity that you uh, think it has probably, but not in a, like there, there's only, there's a couple scenes that I can think of one involving like Japanese businessmen. That's like, ah, that's Stanley Kubrick. I was expecting to get from this. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's actually, it's a, it's a much smaller story than, than I thought it would be. And it's, uh, it's quite fantastic. So yeah, I would, I would totally do this episode with you at any time. Awesome. Okay. What is your final ultimate, uh, number one war crime?
1: I, I don't know if this, this is as big as some of the other ones, but to me, it's a big one. It is George Stevens, a place in the sun featuring Montgomery cliff, and Elizabeth Taylor. So I read Zeroville, as you know, Chris, mm-hmm. and basically the entire time in this in that book, he's just talking about th- about this movie. And I love Montgomery Cliff. I love Red River. I love Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. And I've just never seen this movie.
0: I'm you know, I, I thought you were reading Zeroville so that you could watch A Place in the Sun.
1: Yeah, maybe I, I should have. But, I, but
0: you finished Zeroville, right?
1: Oh, I finished Zeroville. Yeah.
0: So yeah, now you got to watch Place in the Sun.
1: I know I have to. <laughs> I, I'm I, I am ashamed though because I what I normally if I wasn't so en, like engrossed in that book I probably would have just you know after the third time he mentioned it threw it down watched the movie came mm-hmm. back but I didn't I just I just powered through that whole book.
0: No, it's it's a great movie. It's uh and I think we we talked about it what on the last episode or maybe the episode before that. Um, really, really fantastic. Montgomery Clift is like a, he's sort of like a young Tom Cruise of his time. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor is incredible and beautiful and powerful and amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful, wonderful classic that you totally need to see. I don't know how you have it.
1: It's beyond me. I have have no excuses for any of these. Just glad to get them off my chest.
0: So those are our confessions of cinematic sins. If you'd like to see our entire list, you can check those out in the show notes or find a link in the about page at warstartsmidnight.com. Now, Midnight Warriors, it's time for you to share your shame and tell us about the single film you are most embarrassed to admit you've never seen. Email us at hello at warstartsmidnight.com or drop a dime and ring the Midnight Warrior hotline at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA.
1: Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next.
0: All right, Jake, it's time to wrap up the show once again. But before we go, let's do some recommendations. Now, we've had a lot of talk about, uh, you know, personal security, privacy. We've also had a lot of talk about war crimes. What do you got to recommend? Anything that ties into those?
1: I don't know. I don't know that it ties in to it as much, but it is a movie I watched recently. And I just want other people to watch it so I can talk about it. And it's Bruce Beresford's Mr. Johnson. So, Chris, have you seen this movie?
0: I haven't seen this. If, if it's what I think it is, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I almost said Magnum P.I., uh, <laughs> The Drive-By Fruiting. Um, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's in this movie, right?
1: Yeah, he is in this movie. And I, I rented it not knowing he was in the movie. And he is probably like wait, wait, second, wait, wait. Had, second.
0: He's on like the cover of the the, the DVD, right? How did you not uh, know he was in uh, it?
1: Okay, so I rented the Criterion uh, collection. And it he is not on the cover of it. It actually has what I would call a just and non-racist cover. <laughs> uh, but if you if you go and look at the the cover that's on Wikipedia, it makes it look like it is it is like Pierce Brosnan is Mr. Johnson.
0: Yeah, I literally all that I really know about this movie is it looks like a made for TV Pierce Brosnan movie that's really racist.
1: It does. And the tagline, which you can go and read for yourself, is also terribly racist and also has a typo in it. It's it's not good. It looks if that would have been the
0: cover, really? I, yeah. Okay, so what is this movie about?
1: <laughs> okay, so it's it's about um, I believe they are in in Nigeria. So it's about a Nigerian named Mister Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he apparently was at least raised or educated in England before he came back there, and it's about it's sort of a tragic story about how he. He's striving to be very English uh, in colonial Nigeria, and th- that is his downfall. That hmm. uh, They're building a road to try and connect uh, his town to the main road, and Pierce Brosnan is leading that, and he is the clerk for Pierce Brosnan. But it is really just a story about him and what life was like then. I'm I'm not saying it's a four star movie, mm-hmm. uh, but it is it is really good for a movie made in 1990. Of which I I don't know a lot of movies around that time that I'm just in love with. But this one was really good. I really enjoyed it. Okay. And and I just want to hear what you think about it or or what listeners think about it anybody. I, this is a movie I want people to have seen. It's something we we could discuss.
0: You said this is a Criterion release. Is this available on Hulu Dino? You know?
1: Uh unfortunately it's not. You're going to have to find this on Criterion Blu-ray or you can rent it wherever you stream movies or you can do what I do and find it at your local public
0: library. I I bet you my local public library doesn't have it, but I'll uh you know, I'll give it a look. I'll add it. Should I add it to the war crimes list? Is it that? Much I I, I
1: wouldn't call it a war crime. Okay, but I, you should you should watch it.
0: Okay. Well, my recommendation this week does have a bit a bit tighter of a connection to uh to our review to our review of Snowden. Um, it is the new documentary by Werner Herzog called "Lo and Behold: Revelries of the Connected World," and this is a movie that uh, I was pretty excited to see. Uh, did Did you see the trailer for this, Jake?
1: No, I have not. Is this a new movie?
0: Yeah, he's, he's actually got another movie coming out about, like, a volcano as well that he shot with drones um, that I think maybe premiered at, like, Telluride. Um, but, yeah, this is available to rent um, on places right now. Like, it's it's playing in select theaters. I think Circle here had it for a night. Um, but it's, uh, it's not Herzog's best. It is good. Why I was asking you if you had seen the trailer is there's a great moment um, where he's – it so he – sort of does these little vignettes about elements of the internet and the connected world. And that's maybe why I've been saying connected world so much on this, this episode, I apologize. Um, but so he, he goes and talks to a guy who was involved with the very first, uh, you know, building the very first machine, um, that, that was a part of, uh, the internet, the very first machine that sent a message, um, to another computer on a network. Hmm. And, uh, then it gets into several other things. One of the people that he, that he talks to was Elon Musk. And there's this great moment in the trailer where Elon Musk is, um, saying, you know, we, we would like to go to Mars. We haven't, you know, been able to make it to Mars yet. And then Herzog in his classic, you know, thick German accent butts in and goes, um, goes, I would go to Mars. I would not be scared or something like that. And the the, like, look that Elon Musk gives is fantastic. Like that was honestly what sold me. I'm like, I don't even care what else this movie's about. It's Herzog. He directed it. He's obviously narrating it as well. I'm sold. Um, it's pretty good. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I think like it, it would have much like Snowden would benefit from a little more focus. Um, have you ever seen the movie actually by one of Herzog's, uh, buddies, uh, Errol Morris. Have you ever seen fast cheap and out of control? I have not. Okay. It, it reminded me of that a little bit. Fast cheap and out of control is this documentary that Errol Morris made where he basically set out to make like four or five documentaries and none of them had like necessarily enough material to stand up on their own. And so he just made them all into one about these eccentric people. It kind of has that feeling to it. Uh, fast, cheap and out of control. I always like wanted more than he he gave me. And I feel like there's a lot of that here too. And and I think um, this would have maybe benefited from honestly, like, I would love to see a Herzog mini series on the, about the internet. That would be fascinating and fantastic. And I'm sure wouldn't, you know, there's plenty of material there. Um, that's really my main criticism. It's still, it's still pretty good. I'm sure, you know, if you don't want to pay the, because it's, Still in theaters right now. It's kind of the pricier, you know, 5 $6 rental. If you don't want to pay that. I'm sure this will show up on Netflix or Hulu in, you know, six, seven, eight months.
1: Chris, I would love to see a Herzog miniseries on Mars.
0: <laughs> when you say on Mars, about about Mars or on Mars?
1: On Mars.
0: <laughs> uh, it might be a very mini series.
1: It would be a lot like The Martian, just starring Werner Herzog.
0: Uh I it would be way better than the Martian though. I would love to I would love to see Werner Herzog and uh, Donald Glover interact. I know I know uh Matt Damon didn't interact with it, but uh, you know Werner Herzog's like little like uh diary entries would have been way more entertaining than just cheery we're going to get this shit done Matt Damon um in in the Martian. I have-
1: it, it would be existential and yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold on that. Let's just send him to Mars with a GoPro. Can, can, we send,
0: can we send him to Mars with Terrence Malick and they both have GoPros and it's like a buddy doc, but they are actually like, they, they sort of get along, but they also hate that they are ideological, uh, ideologically opposed figures. It would be great i would watch that if
1: you if you let's just take a step back if we send them to mars with anything less than like an imax camera we we all deserve to just go extinct as a race
0: yeah that's fair <laughs> okay well that's a wrap for another episode of war starts at midnight find us online at war for show notes links to our personal war crimes lists info about the midnight warrior fantasy movie league and a lot more Or say hi to us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WSAMpod.
1: If you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it in iTunes, or wherever you get the podcast. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior clan, and it'll make you feel awesome.
0: On the other hand, if you're just the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, or the NSA agent who's just listening for work, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or, if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362.
1: Shout out to Someone Still Loves You, Boris Shelton, for the music on this week's show. Find more at saslyby.com.
0: Or you can just check the show notes for a link if you can't decipher uh, that URL. And uh, join us in another fortnight as we discuss The Magnificent Seven. Thanks for listening, folks.
1: Taste like liberal.
0: James, honestly, you you know what you know what James Cagney is to me, right?
1: Uh, it's, uh gangster, like he is to everybody, right?
0: No. Well, I mean, yes, but no. He's uh, he's the boss in double indemnity. The
1: boss in double indemnity? Isn't he? No. Is that, an- that is not him. That is who? uh uh Edward G. Robinson, right?
0: Uh k- James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson are two different people.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are both, they're both famous for gangster movies, but if it makes you feel any better, when you said, what do I remember James Cagney from, I almost said Scarface.